Hey, y'all, this is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, NPR business reporter Camila Dominowski and editor and correspondent for NPR's science desk, Jeff Broomfield. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all, from NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend to my listeners and to my guest, as Aunt Betty said, Jeff Broomfield, senior editor and correspondent for NPR Science Desk, and Camila Dominoski, who covers cars, energy, and the future of mobility for NPR's business desk. Room, room. That's a great beat name. Yeah, it's a good one. We are joined in studio this week by Parliament. This song is called Unfunky UFO, and UFOs are in the news this week. Have y'all heard? I'm afraid I have. <laughs> I, I was thinking you would have heard. Um, so according to Politico, this week, three more U.S. senators received a special classified briefing about a series of reported encounters between the Navy and unidentified aircraft so tired sam <laughs> i'm just so tired please tell me what's happening because before i knew it i i started googling it's not just these senators um president trump was asked about ufos this week by george stephanopoulos and he said this they do say i mean i've seen i've seen and i've read and i've heard and i did have one very brief meeting on it but people are saying they're seeing ufos do i believe it not particularly so he had the UFO briefing, too. <laughs> Jeff, what is happening? What is happening? Well, this all goes back to a, uh, a New York Times story. Don't even ask me to place, like, whether it was this week or last week. I can't remember. But, <laughs> but basically, um, some Navy pilots have been seeing some pretty funky stuff. They've been talking about it on the comms. And we don't know what they are. I mean, to be fair... Unidentified. It's in the name, right? Like, are they funky or unfunky <laughs> UFOs? It's a question. It could, the thing is, a UFO, uh, literally unidentified flying object. Absolutely, there are UFOs. There's all kinds yes. of things we don't understand. Yes. Whether those are spaceships from aliens, that seems like of all the explanations one could arrive at. There seem to be an awful lot of things one would have to rule out. So, okay. Recently, reports of UFOs have gone up because the Navy drafted these new guidelines for pilots to report. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to report now. So now they just come out of the woodwork saying, I'm seeing stuff, I'm seeing stuff, I'm seeing stuff. And in turn, senators and congressmen and President Trump are getting secret UFO briefings. I mean, have you seen the video, Sam? I don't want to. Oh, <laughs> I want oh. to. I haven't they're seen they're interesting. Scary. No, they're not scary. They're just... Little flashes of light. I mean, they're they're stuff flickering around out there. The yeah. truth is out there, Sam. <laughs> All right, we're going to start the show as we always do, asking each of us to describe our week of news in only three words. Uh, per usual, it's been a very newsy week, but even newsier this week. So listeners, know that we taped this Friday morning. By the time you hear this, a lot may have changed. With that, Jeff, you're up first uh, as our resident nuclear correspondent. I know what you're going to talk about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So my three words are cocked and loaded. Hmm. You know, we've had uh, this this back and forth with Iran all week about both their nuclear program and um, events in the, in the Straits of Hormuz where they shot down a U.S. drone and... Uh, 
this morning, as of when we're taping, uh, the president tweeted out that there was a strike uh, that almost took place uh, on Iranian air defenses. And they were, quote, cocked and loaded, but he called it off because he felt it wouldn't be proportionate. And, you know, there are lots of events from the last few weeks and months, you know, some oil tankers being hit, a drone being taken down. But all of this, Jeff, it seems to go back to the Iran nuclear deal. Right. Can you walk us through briefly what it's all about? Right, right. So this all started back uh, with the Obama administration. uh, And so they signed up to a deal uh, between Iran, Europe, uh, Russia, and China and the U.S. And the idea was they had to give up a lot of uranium. They had Mm -hmm. to put their equipment into storage and and kind of promise not to do anything and open up to to inspectors. Mm -hmm. The thing that happened was uh, Trump got elected. He pulled the U.S. out. Once the U.S. came out, uh, they slapped more sanctions on. But Mm -hmm. it seems that Iran is saying, hey, if you're going to maximum pressure us, which is Mm -hmm. what the U.S. administration calls it, Mm -hmm. we'll maximum pressure you right back. We have all sorts of low-level ways to put the screws on you guys and Mm -hmm. make you uncomfortable. And I think actually shooting down the drone is a great example. So Iran has air defenses along its coast. It saw Mm -hmm. this drone flying along. There's a debate over whether the drone was in international waters or in Iranian waters or airspace or whatever. But the bottom line is Iran shot it down. Mm -hmm. You know, Trump got ready. They got planes in the air. The last minute, they call it off. Yeah. Camila, I mean, I'm watching this story very closely. And the more I read about it, the more I get confused. (laughs) How does this feel for you? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. So I cover energy for the business desk. Mm -hmm. So we're keeping an eye on this story from one very particular subsection of the potential fallout here, which is the effect on oil prices. A fifth of the world's oil demand goes through the Strait of Hormuz. This is crucially important. Yeah. Well, and then it's like if you even get into the geopolitics of Iran and possible conflicts, it is almost night and day compared to how the Trump White House treats North Korea, a nation that's kind of further along with nukes. Oh, way further. Jeff, what is the deal? Like, you see the summit between Trump and North Korea. You see him hold the letter and say nice things about their leadership. With Iran, not so much. Is What is that? I mean, basically, what it comes down to is that North Korea has not just nuclear weapons, but thermonuclear weapons. Those are the big ones, the okay. H-bomb. We think they have that. They have intercontinental missiles that could hit the U.S. And that makes them pretty untouchable militarily. You got to be willing to take a big risk to Hmm. go attack North Korea. Yeah. And so in a way, North Korea made this gambit. We're Mm going to get the big nukes. We're going to get the big missiles. And people Mm -hmm. will start to take us seriously. And it's kind of working. I mean, they're meeting with, you know, Xi Jinping was in North Korea this week. Um, yeah, heads of state are heads going of state. there to talk to them. Now, on the other hand, Iran does not have a nuclear weapon right now. And they're not going to get one anytime soon because of that deal that they made worked. Like, it will take real time for them. Mm-hmm. I think the real risk is with their conventional military. I mean, hmm. it's not the world's most powerful conventional military by any means, but they operate a system of proxies and allied groups throughout the region. They could yeah. cause a lot of pain everywhere from, you know, Israel all mm-hmm. the way over yeah. to Saudi Arabia. So, like, yeah. 
Yeah. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests, Camila Domanowski, reporter on NPR's Business Desk, and Jeff Brumfill from NPR's Science Desk. Camila, do you have three words? Business as usual. Hmm. So when you're looking at climate change and you're predicting Uh what the future of the planet is going to be, Mm -hmm. there's the best case scenario where we take action like yesterday. Then Mm -hmm. there's like the medium case scenario where we cut emissions somewhat. And the worst case scenario is Mm -hmm. the one that they call business as usual. Okay. And that's where we just keep doing exactly what we've been doing. Yeah. And I'm working on this story about Maersk. So that's a shipping giant. So maybe most people don't pay a lot of attention to how things cross the oceans, but Maersk is the biggest container shipping company in the world. They have Mm -hmm. hundreds of ships that are just crossing the oceans all the time. Mm -hmm. And Maersk made this really bold commitment to cut all of their carbon use to go carbon neutral by 2050. How hard is that for oh my a gosh. ship company? It's literally impossible right so now. So are they going to do it? Right now, the technology doesn't exist. So then, okay, so they say they want to do this by 2050. Right. So the idea is that in the next couple decades, new technology could be invented that'll make it possible to actually do this. And they're yeah. investing. They're pu- they're putting money where their mouth is to make this happen. All right. But hearing you say that, here's what's confusing to me. So there was news this week out of the European Union. Uh Uh, They could not agree on a big carbon neutral plan of their own. Uh And we saw this week in the States, the EPA here rolled back a bunch of rules that would have led to fewer coal-fired power plants. Uh So business right now, you know, it seems like there's not a lot of incentive for these corporations to go green when they kind of don't have to because our government and other governments aren't making them. They absolutely don't have to. Why are they doing this anyway? Great question. So I, I, I called so many people just asking them, like, why would you do this? If you're a for-profit company, why would you do this? Mm-hmm. So one possible answer, hypothetically, is that customers want this. People want to go green and they'll support companies that go greener. The second reason might be that it's actually on some metric cheaper. So if you look at building more energy efficient buildings, you actually save money, right? Mm -hmm. The third reason Uh is if you're betting that in the future, not right now, but at some point in the next, say, 30 years, Mm -hmm. we actually have Ah. regulations with teeth that will push everyone to cut their carbon and you'll be ahead of the curve because you started investing now. I mean, what I go back to is the science. I mean, it's getting hotter. It's getting yeah. hotter. We all know yeah. it's getting hotter. The yeah. CO2 levels are going up. It's causing pain. It's going to cause more pain. And you can't point the finger at any one country or any one place. Mm-hmm. It's not something we can do without a global consensus, yeah. but it's not going away. It's happening. So back to your three words, Camila. The real question is, is it going to be business as usual or business as unusual. <laughs> right. Time and, will tell. And it's not up to an individual business whether that happens or not, right? Yeah. It's a, like Jeff said, it's, yeah. a, it's a collective yeah. decision that has to be made. And people mm-hmm. right now trying to figure out, trying to place their bets, make that wager on whether we are going to take action or not. Or not. Yeah. Uh, I have three words, y'all. What are, are they? they? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. They are run the world. Who? 
Facebook. They want to run the world. (laughs) They just want to run the world. I mean, people who know this show know that I'm kind of obsessed with this company. And Facebook announced this week that they're working on their own blockchain-based currency called Libra. They want to roll it out next year. When I first saw the headlines, I said, really? Facebook? You want to... What? I mean, they are not the most trusted company in the world. No. it's an understatement. Um, governments across the globe are trying to regulate them. Candidates for president here in the States say that they're too big and should be broken up. It's kind of bananas to me. Were you guys surprised by the announcement? I was. I mean, I'll, I'll say, um, you know, as, as a kind of middle-ish aged dad, cool dad. Middle-aged dad. Mm -hmm. You know, I look around at who I see on Facebook, and we are not the cryptocurrency crowd. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to be using Facebook cryptocurrency anytime soon, right? So they're hoping that it is a hit, not in the U.S., but Uh, in more developing nations, uh, in places where a lot more folks don't have bank accounts. Fair, And there are already these kind of cash transfer models through cell phones that exist in parts of Africa and Asia, and Facebook wants to tap into that. But I don't know. I mean, Camila, do you see this working? Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. I have sort of a mental filter in my head that's designed (laughs) anytime the word crypto is attached to the start of a word. I just... Just to, like send it to my brain's deleted folder. What about cryptozoology? Uh-huh. <laughs> what is cryptozoology? It's the zoology of imaginary animals. Okay, that's like I unicorns. love that you just went there. I, I love that Jeff <laughs> was just can't... like, and can we can we talk about cryptozoology instead of cryptocurrency? <laughs> I would enjoy that. So, so my first my first reaction was just a, a complete eye roll. But if you think about, there's so many companies that are trying to make their space, their invisible, imaginary digital space, mm-hmm. um, one that you never have to leave, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you look at Google was was doing this for years and years and years, exactly. giving more and more tools that you could use within this Google ecosystem. Yeah. Um, if you look at something like Uber, Uber wants to be the Uber for absolutely everything so that you get your food from Uber, you get your deliveries from Uber, exactly. you go to work in your Uber like all within that one thing. And so Facebook has these person-to-person interactions Mm -hmm. and they want every single way that you interact with another human being to be through through Facebook. So in that context, having a way to send money through Facebook, like... Makes sense. Makes sense. I can see it. Also, I've just been reminded, thank you, Internet, that Facebook owns WhatsApp. And in Mm -hmm. that context and what you were saying, Sam, that makes a lot of sense. I have so many questions about this, but also... Uh, There are big questions about what actually happens with the money and interest gained on this money. So Facebook's going to keep that interest. They aren't going to pass back those dividend payments to users of Libra. And Facebook, because they track everything, a lot of folks think that they are going to look at where people spend their money using Libra and just use that to get a competitive advantage over other folks in this game. Also, the the security questions that it raises. I mean, there have right. been some very high profile, sometimes fairly catastrophic hacks of these cryptocurrency exchanges. And Facebook has a super spotty history on security issues. You know, I feel we've taken a really negative turn on Facebook. I saw my neighbor from childhood this week. We got together for the first time in 20 years. What I do? I upload a photo on Facebook. People yeah. are liking that thing left and right. It makes me feel good. You it's know, true. It's not it's all true. bad. It's not all bad. Now, we should say Facebook is a financial supporter of NPR. Got to make that point. Can I just say, I mean, I think we should next time we get together, 
Let's mm-hmm. talk about cryptozoology. Yes, please. <laughs> the existence of Bigfoot, Chupacabra. <laughs> like, there are so many places we could go if you're going to start the show with UFOs. Okay. Why not? Yeah, I would say after the break, we'll discuss cryptozoology, but I'd be lying. Uh, maybe at some <laughs> point down the road. But Someday. we are going to take a break and come back and talk about our favorite breakup songs. And I will tell you about my favorite breakup song. It is happy and sad at the same time. We will dance to this song after the break. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. With a franchise network of highly trained agents and advanced marketing tools, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services network members aim to provide something more than just real estate. They think beyond the next transaction and build relationships based on your long-term goals to ensure you'll get all the value that home brings year after year, home after home. All that more they do, that's home services. Start your home search at BerkshireHathawayHS.com. Support also comes from VSP Individual Vision Plans, offering coverage for a low monthly cost if you don't have vision coverage through an employer. You'll get access to the nation's largest network of independent doctors and hundreds of name brand frames. Plus, you can save more than $200 a year. VSP believes you deserve to see better for life for less. Discover for yourself at needvspcoverage.com. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests, Camila Domanowski. She covers cars, energy, and the future of mobility for NPR's business desk. And also here with Jeff Brumfill, senior editor and correspondent for NPR's science desk. Question for you both, Jeff, Camila. What is your favorite breakup song? Um... So I would say uh, one that I played a lot. I don't know if it's really a breakup song, but boy, mm-hmm. is it depressing. Uh, mm-hmm. Was off Radiohead's In Rainbows album, Videotape. I think that's what it's called. Oh, right? that one's a, okay. That one's sad. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not well equipped for this conversation. I've I've never had a breakup. So Must be nice. I, I've never wow had this experience. Yeah, I've been with the been with the same guy since I was 16 years old. So that just sort of. Blessings. Works out that way. Um, but I did realize as I was sitting here that there is a genre of breakup music that I enjoy very much, which mm-hmm. is the country music subgenre oh, so good. of female singers getting revenge. Getting oh, better. I mean, biggest yeah. among some Carrie Underwood right, slash exactly. the tires song mm-hmm. before he cheats. Uh, before he cheats. Yeah. All there's there's a whole category of songs like in that genre, and they're all they feel great to listen to. Can, like, be like, can I just not say? Depressing. Can I just say, based on your choice, I could see why you've never had a breakup. <laughs> That make all of a sudden that makes a lot of sense. He knows, yeah, and he's not breaking up with you. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I am having us talk about uh, breakup songs because I recently did a whole story about my favorite breakup song. It is this wonderful up-tempo dance track by the Swedish star Robin. It's called "Dancing on My Own." And I love this song because it's a song about breakup and loss and loneliness and heartache. But it sounds really, really fun. And it is a really, really fun, danceable song. So I did a whole piece for NPR's American Anthem series about this song. So this series is this ongoing look at songs from all decades that NPR folks find anthemic. And Robin's Dancing on My Own was my pick. And because I host the show, I'm going to play my story and let y'all hear me sing the praises of Robin's Dancing on My Own. 
From the start, Robin's Dancing on My Own reaches right into your soul and latches on. The song's about 118 beats per minute, a tempo engineered almost perfectly for human movement. You know, it's right around where scientists have placed the preferred walking tempo. That's Nate Sloan, co-host of the podcast Switched on Pop and assistant professor of musicology at the University of Southern California. Nate says what also makes this song special is that it's one big bait and switch. After the music starts all happy and dancey, Robin turns it around when she starts to sing. Somebody said you got a new friend. Does she love you better than I can? Somebody said you got a new friend. Does she love you better than I can? That's a breakup song. Nate Sloan says that puts Dancing on My Own right up there with a bunch of other classic sad songs that sound happy. It's definitely got a long history in pop, like Mbop by Hanson. Wait, that's a sad song? That's a really sad song, actually. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. In Dancing on My Own, Robin is at the same club as an ex-lover. On the same dance floor, she sees this ex dancing with another girl. Chorus peaks with Robin accepting reality and dancing through the pain. This strange thing has happened with Dancing on My Own in the last few years. Every time I've seen people experiencing this song, a song with the words on my own in the title, they are not alone. Lena Dunham's character on HBO's Girls, she danced to Dancing on My Own in a scene of that show with her character's best friend. Lots of people told me about playing this song at wedding receptions to get everyone on the floor dancing and singing together. There's this one video on YouTube. It's got dozens of people on a subway platform in New York all going home after a Robin concert waiting for the train and crammed together on the subway platform. They burst into song together singing Dancing on My Own. Dancing on My Own was first released in the States in 2010. Years before this song, Robin was making light, fluffy teen pop. But Robin left that behind, made her own record label, changed up her look, and she began to make music that was edgier. In 2010, Robin told NPR about basically breaking up with a certain side of the music industry. It was a big, big change for me, but I really didn't feel like I had another option. For me, it was like the last last thing to try before I was going to quit music, kind of. Sasha Geffen is a music critic, and she says even though Robin left teen pop behind, she still has teen pop in her DNA. And that's part of what makes the song Dancing on My Own work. It's important to see her as a teenager who survived, right? She has kind of learned to carry the intensity of teenage emotion into perfectly adult pop songs. Patrick Berger is a Swedish songwriter. He co-wrote and produced Dancing on My Own with Robin. He told me his favorite lyric in the song is this perfect example of that messy teenage emotion. Robin's singing about being stubborn. Yeah, 
yeah, I know it's stupid, but just got to see it for myself. Patrick Berger says lyrics like that make Dancing on My Own something different than those breakup songs where you're just tough and strong and everything's going to be fine and you're great. And you're not really being the smartest person on the planet. You're not being the nicest. You're not being, like, the best. You're just, like, you're just a loser. And that's fine, you know? <laughs> you're lost. Lost but dancing through it. In researching this story, I heard from a Robin fan who had a particularly touching story about just that, being lost and using Dancing on My Own to dance through it. Her name is Nora. I'm Nora McInerney. I'm a writer and a podcast host. Her podcast is called Terrible Thanks for Asking. Nora told me as soon as she met her boyfriend, Aaron, who became her husband. He asked me basically right away, uh, oh, do you like Robin? He made her listen to all things Robin. He was obsessed. Robin became a big part of their relationship. But a few years after the relationship began, it ended. Aaron, four years after we met, um, he died of brain cancer. And as he was dying, Aaron made Nora a playlist. One of the songs that was on his funeral playlist was Dancing on My Own. Nora obeyed his request, and she played Robin's Dancing on My Own at her husband's funeral. There's that line where... Um, she says, the lights go out, the music dies. Well, you don't see me standing here, and I just came to say goodbye. And I, I do ball at that part pretty, pretty regularly. At the funeral, Nora did ball, but she also danced. It had thinned out. There were maybe 100 people left, and the music was playing, and I was very, very drunk. I would not recommend blacking out at your at your husband's funeral but if you got to do it i mean you, if you must if you must and i remember singing that song and crying with um with my friends so far away but still so near nora says now dancing on my own makes her think of all the times she'll get on dance floors with her son aaron's son and dance with him And that's really the reason Robin's Dancing on My Own is a true anthem. Whenever you hear it, whenever you experience it, you immediately feel less alone. All right, that story first aired on NPR's Morning Edition. Uh, and you can check out the entire NPR American Anthem series at npr.org. It's got stories on all kinds of songs, from the Battle Hymn of the Republic to Smells Like Teen Spirit. Check it out. All right, it's time for a break. When we come back, we'll keep dancing with my favorite game, Who Said That? You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capital One. With the Capital One Saver Card, you can earn 4% cash back on dining and entertainment. That means 4% on checking out that new French restaurant and 4% on bowling with your friends. You'll also earn 2% cash back at grocery stores and 1% on all other purchases. Now when you go out, you cash in. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Terms apply. Support also comes from WNET with Amanpour & Company. 
featuring conversations with today's headline makers and tomorrow's change makers. The show brings you in-depth conversations with global thought leaders and cultural influencers on the issues and trends impacting the world each day. Visit pbs.org slash Amanpour to go beyond the headlines. Weekdays at 11 p.m. on PBS or stream segments at pbs.org slash Amanpour. Check local listings. African Americans moved out of bondage and into freedom with stories wrapped in songs. These spirituals held the cries and the hallelujahs of a people rising and falling as they moved beyond the shackles of slavery. It's Wade in the Water, a 26-part series on African American sacred music traditions. Listen on NPR Music and NPR One. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests, Camila Domanowski. She covers cars, energy, and the future of mobility for NPR's business desk. And also here with Jeff Brumfell, senior editor and correspondent for NPR's science desk. All right, you two smart, amazing folks. It is time for my favorite game. Who said that? I think you both have played the game now at this point. Camila, I'm sure you have. Jeff, you've been on before, right? I have never been on the show. Stop! I know. I love How it. does it feel? It feels fantastic. I hope okay. I'm doing okay. You're doing fine. A lot of <laughs> folks get scared about this game. I tell them they shouldn't because it's very low stakes. There is no prize. The winner gets nothing. And the premise is very simple. I share a quote from the week. You have to guess who said that. If you get it wrong or get it right, I actually don't care. I take it very seriously, and we're playing for glory. Okay, all right. Wow. So you know, like he's all he's right. bringing the chill, relaxed, positive energy, and we're gonna we're gonna duke it out here, you and me. You ready? I'm ready. First quote: If you stay and watch the movie after the credits, there'll be a deleted scene, a little tribute, and a few surprises. Directors of Endgame. Yes. What? <laughs> Yes. So that, that was actually oh, Marvel Studios president Kevin oh, okay. Feige this week. But you're close enough. He told a lot of news outlets that they're going to re-release Avengers Endgame with extended footage that didn't make it in the first run of this film. And this is probably all about the makers of Endgame wanting to have the, the title Avatar. of biggest <laughs> film of all time. Right, right now, that title goes to James Cameron's Avatar, which has remained the highest grossing movie ever for nearly a decade with $2.78 billion in global ticket sales. The Avengers in-game folks are hoping that if they get this re-release out and make folks go back to the theater, they can pass that number. So far, they're at about $2.74 billion. Can I just say that I, this is a point of personal pride, I have seen neither of those movies. In their entirety. Wow. Can I tell you, also point of personal pride, I have seen both but took naps in the middle of both of them. Really? Oh, my I took gosh. a good half an hour nap in Endgame, and I probably had, I, I recall the Avatar nap. It was so good. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just, I just sleep in these long movies like that. Yeah. Camila, you have one point. I thought we weren't keeping score. Right. <laughs> that, was, that was a lie. Okay, yes. That right. was to get you to the table. Uh-huh, and now... uh-huh. Yeah. Next quote, you ready? <laughs> If we really want to attract a younger customer, it can't just be about fun advertising and fun stunts. I'll give you a hint. This is a fast food chain that rolled out a new product this week that looks disgusting. Oh, KFC. Yes. <laughs> so I, You know what? I saw this on your Twitter stream. Yes, because I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so KFC, uh, they are launching a Cheetos sandwich. Ugh. It's a fried chicken sandwich. Ugh. 
but also with Cheetos. No. What? I, I mean, I can see it. I don't know. <laughs> Camila is very pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> she's, this is a period in her life where she's very open it's to different allowed. kinds of food. It's all allowed. <laughs> so they're going to offer a four-week run of their chicken Cheeto sandwich. So Kevin Hockman, he had that quote. He's the president of KFC's U.S. operations. And he told Business Insider that this year, KFC plans to launch more new menu items than in the prior five years combined. My question for you both, does any of this new stuff make you more or less likely to actually go to KFC? Uh, I'm still at zero. But again, KFC? Oh, don't lie. I don't You're, eat meat. Don't lie. You're just going to go I would eat I had a phase of KFC. See, like when I was in like high school, they rolled yeah. out these like bowls where it was like a bowl of mashed potatoes with corn on top of that and then cheese on top of that and then chicken tender strips on top of that. It was just like a bowl of gobbledygook. I mean, if I'm going there, I'm going Taco Bell every time. Oh, like, that's, I can't Taco Bell. As a I, Texan, there are better tacos to be had, and I know this. <laughs> I mean, as someone from Michigan, there are better tacos to be had. Everyone knows <laughs> there are better tacos to be had. That's not the yes. point. Anyway, final quote. Also kind of about food. And for the win, I would add. Oh, yeah, yeah. it is tied. It is neck tied. All right. So I'm, I'm going to give you a little hint before I give you the quote so you can narrow it down. This quote came from a Democratic candidate for president when asked by the New York Times what comfort food they like on the trail. Tell me which candidate said this is their preferred comfort food on the trail. Quote, a glass of whiskey at the end of the night. Which candidate said that? I mean, I would go with Biden just based on stereotype. (laughs) Not him. Gillibrand. Yes. Yes. Kirsten Gillibrand, New York senator, when asked by the Times what her favorite comfort food was on the trail, she said, a glass of whiskey at the end of the night, to which I say, I salute you. Yes. Absolutely. I feel that. Oh, yeah. Cory Booker, who's a vegan, said his favorite comfort food is veggies. Well, what else (laughs) is he going to (laughs) say? Warren said chips and guac. Kamala Harris said fries. Mayor Pete said beef jerky. Julian Castro said iced tea. And Amy Klobuchar said a baked potato. Going for the Idaho vote. Yeah. I guess for me, it's just like, this is what we put people through to become leader of the free world. This reality show. Sam, you spent some time running around on campaign trails after people. What was your favorite campaign trail comfort food? Mine? Yeah, on the reporter side. Oh, I used to, if I had downtime between rallies, I would go to Ikea to get Swedish meatballs. Ooh. I would just go to eat there. Yeah. It was very comforting. It felt like home. <laughs> it did. Interesting. Uh, on that note, with some help, our winner is Camila Dominoski. <laughs> Got there eventually. I concede. <laughs> no, that was very diplomatic of you both. I appreciate that. Uh, that concludes who said that. Camila, congrats, but you get nothing but bragging rights. Glory. That's right. Glory, glory, glory. All right, now it's time to end the show as we always do. Each week, we ask you to share with us the best thing that happened to you all week. We encourage folks to brag. They do. Brent, hit the tape. Hi, Sam. This is Yuru from Chicago. And the best part of my week this week was that on Thursday, I was able to go to my swearing in ceremony and become an American citizen. Hey, Sam. This is Megan from San Antonio, Texas. The best thing that happened to me this week was that I paid off my student loans early. The best part of my week was flying out to my hometown of St. Louis, Missouri to surprise my grandfather for his 83rd birthday. 
The best thing that happened to me this week was getting to spend one more Father's Day with my daddy, who, after two bone marrow transplants for lymphoma, has been cancer-free since 2011. Best thing to happen to me this week was my wife had a very healthy day. She's pregnant and has had a rough time, and it was just beautiful to see her feel good and smile and just be herself. Hi, Sam. This is Yolanda Manning. And the best part of my week was that I was able to close out the school year early because one of my favorite people and I are on our way to Africa and their new African Leadership University to see what we can bring back into our classrooms here in the States. Hi, Sam. This is Rachel from Fairlawn, New Jersey. The best part of my week was being honored along with my husband at our synagogue dinner for all of our volunteer work over the past year. I was not prepared for how emotional it was going to be to hear people that we look up to as role models talk about how we have been an inspiration to them. Hey Sam, it's Laura in Houston, Texas, and the best thing that happened to me this week was I found out who I donated my kidney to in December. I had my six-month follow-up appointment, and they gave me a letter that the woman who is now the new proud owner of my left kidney wrote. Um, She told me about her family, her kids, what my donation meant to her and it really was the best letter I will ever receive in my life. I'm so happy. Hope everyone has a great week, y'all. That's amazing. Yeah, Yeah, that is amazing. Wow. Uh, Thanks to all those listeners that you heard from right there. Yuri, congrats on your citizenship. Uh, Megan, Joyce, Antoinette, Adam, Yolanda, Rachel and Laura, we appreciate y'all. And thanks to everyone who shares every week the best parts of their week. We listen to all of them, even if we can't air all of them. So keep them coming. Send me a voice memo with your voice telling me the best part of your week. Email that to samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. To my guest, Camila, Jeff, best parts of your week. Go. So the best part of my week, I'd say, was I saw my childhood neighbor who I grew up next to but hadn't seen in like 20 years. And I got to see her and her husband and her kids. And it was just really nice. I like that. I like that. Camila? Uh, the best part of my week was that I got another week closer to giving birth and not being <laughs> pregnant anymore. I told my parents that the best part of being pregnant is that I've discovered immortality because uh-huh. that's the only way I could possibly be pregnant forever. <laughs> it's coming, Camila. But I'm told that that's not actually possible, and I am one week closer. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Best part of my week... There was a lot of free food around the office all week, and that always makes me happy. Solid. Thanks, NPR West colleagues. All right, and thanks, of course, to everyone that makes this show happen every week. Uh, Our producers are Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry. Our fearless editors are Jordana Hochman and Alex McCall. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. And our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. Listeners, thank you for being you. Until next time, thank you for listening to NPR's It's Been a Minute. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. A lot of Parliament songs sound the same, but I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. It's a good sound. Why should right? they sound different? A lot yeah, of radio broke. songs sound the same, actually. <laughs> yes, true. On the topic. <laughs> What's your favorite album? I would probably say. I, I think that's.